more so a informal Q&A slash Bible study. So as I'm talking, if you got any questions, feel free to raise your hand and I'll answer them to the best of my ability. Any very difficult questions, I would defer to Pastor Rolo. And, um, and just for the sake of time, and um, if the question is not about this subject, I will politely not answer. Amen? All right. Let's go to the Lord for help. Our God and Father, thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us, O God. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever, O Lord. Lord, we are a stiff-necked people. And Lord, and apart from your Holy Spirit, we would never come to you nor obey you, O Lord. So help us, O God, to hear your voice today. Humble us, Lord, and uh, conform us to the image of your Son by the power of your Spirit through your Word. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. So this session is doesn't necessarily have a number, but it's about what pastors and deacons are for, or better yet, um, what what is the purpose of pastors and deacon and deacons and Pastor Briggs touched on a lot of the subject matter that um, I'm going to be dealing with. So when I get to those areas, I won't, you know, necessarily re-preach that. But uh, anyways, um, we, if you have your handouts, we're in, that's, so the 1689, the chapter that you have in there is just one chapter. It's chapter 26, and it's just one chapter on the church. And so we, what we have done is we went through and picked out particular paragraphs to kind of exposit and explain to the church why we believe the things that we believe concerning the church. And so um, when we consider this confession, we consider this, this uh, Baptist confession, um, we, we need to consider that what our Baptist forefathers were trying to achieve when they were writing this. Um, they didn't write this confession in a vacuum. There's political and historical and religious context that go into all of this. And one of the things that's clear is that they were attempting to show as much unity as possible with our Presbyterian brothers, our Presbyterian cousins, as uh, Pastor Briggs calls them, and separate themselves from some groups that weren't necessarily in alignment with the things that they believed. And so um, that is why you see so much agreement between the Westminster and the 1689. And however, in this chapter, chapter 26, is the chapter where these both confessions are, they completely diverge and not completely, but it's very, a lot of differences here. And it's because these, both these confessions are taking on very different subjects. Right? So when we talk about Baptists and, and, and Presbyterians, um, we're not just talking about who should be getting baptized. Right? The names of both of these groups, they reveal something about what each group believes. And the names refer to, uh, they also, we should also be thinking about a particular kind of church government. Right? So whenever we talk about the differences between Baptists and Presbyterians, uh, we're not merely talking about who should be baptized. We're talking about how the church should be governed. We disagree about how the church should be governed and who should be running it, right? So the Presbyterian system of church government acknowledges the same two offices as the Baptist uh, um, elders and deacons, but it also makes local churches a larger part of a whole, which what they would call a synod. Now, um, according to the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, synods have the responsibility to determine, this is a direct quote, determine controversies of faith in cases of conscience, set down rules and directions for better ordering of the public worship of God and the government of his church. Now, uh, further, the West, uh, Westminster Confession in chapter 20 also states that the Lord Jesus Christ 
as king and head of his church, has therein appointed a government in the hand of church officers distinct from the civil magistrate. These officers, I mean, I'm sorry, and to these officers, the king, the keys of the kingdom of heaven have, are committed. So there, these are, this is just one of the differences when we talk about church government between Baptists and Presbyterians. And, but it is very clear when you go through this chapter, and I believe when you go through scripture, that um, our Baptist confession of faith, we will see that all power and all authority are given to the local church, not external church offices or external church hierarchies. Amen? No amen. We're going to go through the Bible, and you'll be saying amen before I finish. All right? So listen, this is not a small difference, family. The, the, the form of government that Presbyterians and Baptists have is not a small difference. Presbyterian system of church government requires that there, an ex, there is an external authority above the local church which directs it and governs it. And this affects everything from what's coming out of the pulpit to matters of church discipline, of individual members, and the roles and functions of elders and how they ought to be carried out. That is very significant. This is not simply a matter of structure. It is a matter of authority. And this is one of the things that Pastor Briggs talked about last night. Who has authority over the church? Who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ is the head of the church universal and the head of every local church. Right? The keys of the kingdom have been given to the church to the, and to lo individual local churches. Individual, I don't want to preach somebody else's sermon because I know somebody else is doing this topic, but individual churches have the authority to accept members into membership and to excommunicate them. And if they do it according to the word of God, Jesus acknowledges it as the head of the church, right? So this is, this is not just a matter of structure. This is a matter of authority. Who is the head of the church? Who determines what happens in a local body? Who has the keys to the kingdom? And I just want to say this unequivocally, it's not the Pope of Rome. It's no external body like some synod or the SBC. Sorry, SBC, right? And it's not even the pastors. We do not have the authority or the power to go around and kick anybody out of this church. Not even the pastors have the authority to do that, right? And the reason why this is important, we have, a, we have a pastor here with us today that's from another church. And I love this brother. But he has no power to kick any of y'all out of this church at First Baptist Church of the Lakes. Nor do I have the power or the authority to go to Emmanuel Baptist Church in, in, in Sacramento and, and excommunicate anybody there. Nobody has the power to do that but Christ and him alone through the means that he ordained in his word. No external sources can do that. So this is, this is an, issue of, an issue of authority, who has the authority in the church, and not even myself, Pastor Ed, Pastor Rolo, Pastor Vladimir, can come and tell one of y'all to get out of this church simply because we don't want to deal with you no more. We do not have the power or the authority to do that. So these issues of government are vitally important to the individual members of the church and they guard, they put guardrails on the, the pastors in what they can and cannot do. They protect you, right? They protect you from tyrants. Every pastor, and I want to say it, I don't want to disrespect any pastors in here, but every pastor got a little pope inside of him trying to get on the throne. And all of us need guardrails. All of us need guardrails. And like I said, all of us are, if unchecked by the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the Church of God, you will eventually try to seize power and seize authority and do things that 
are outside of the purview of God, right? So the questions we have to answer in this session, what are pastors and deacons for, is really a question about church government and church organization, right? So, like I say, our Baptist forefathers deal with this topic in paragraph 8, if you're looking at your uh, handouts, it's paragraph 8 of the confession. I don't even have it with me. Can I? That is terrible. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Paragraph 8. It reads, A local church gathered and fully organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members. The officers appointed by Christ are overseers or elders and deacons. They are to be chosen and set apart by the church, called and gathered in this way for the distinctive purpose of administering, administering, uh, administering ordinances and carrying out any other power or duty Christ entrusts to them or calls them to. This pattern is to be continued to the end of the age. Thank you, sister. So, first point we're going to look at is, is that the local church consists of officers and members. You find this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Now, the Word of God, you find out a lot of information if you just pay attention. If you just slow down, pay attention, and read your Bibles well. This is the first verse in an introduction, and it says this. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Family, when you read this, we really need to stop here and ponder for a minute. Do you remember how the church at Philippi began? In the book of Acts, right? You have a businesswoman, Lydia, a slave girl, a, 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 J, a corrections officer, and some other converts there, right? And now the Apostle Paul is writing to this same group of people, and some of these people are elders and deacons. That's, that's incredible. That's an incredible thing if you put your hands around that, that the, the Lord, by the power of his word and his spirit, in the ministry of his spirit, he changes people. Right? He takes dead, selfish, self-centered, indulgent men, and he makes them alive in Christ. He, he makes them, he, he transforms them from selfish, self-centered people to selfless men who are concerned for the spiritual and physical well-being of others, not for their sake, but for the sake of Christ. He takes these type of men and he changes them and he transforms them and he gives them self-control and patience and tenderness and the ability to cheat, teach and refute error and doctrine all for the sake of Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he shines his light on men who were blinded by the God of this world and he enlightens their minds and their wills and, and, and gives them the ability and the wherewithal to proclaim the excellencies of God. Hallelujah. God did that. Don't take this lightly. Do not take this lightly. The fact that men who were once alienated and estranged and hostile enemies of God, they are now his servants and his soldiers willing to sacrificially give, him li give their lives to the flock of God for the betterment of them. That is a testimony to the power of God and his ability to save and regenerate men. And we praise God for that. Amen? So, that being so, every local church is to be organized according to the mind of Christ and consists of members and officers. That's the wording in the confession. So a group of Christians 
So when we say, when we talk about a church, what this is saying here is, is that necessarily, in order for you to have a church, you got to have members and you got to have officers. And those officers are pastors and deacons, right? So a group of Christians meeting together, studying the Bible, praying, singing songs. That's great. That's awesome. That's good. But that does not constitute a church. That's what you call a Bible study. That's not a church. If you do not have members and officers, you don't have a New Testament church. There is no church that only consists of members, and there is no church that only consists of pastors. It is always the combination of these two because Christ has spoken his mind to us on his issue, and this is what he has described the church to be. So the Lord Jesus Christ, in John 21, verses 15 through 17, he commands Peter to feed my sheep. So if you got your Bibles, please turn to John 21. So the setting of the story here in John 21 is, this is one of the last post-resurrection appearances of the Lord to, to, to his disciples. And uh, Jesus prepares a meal for Peter. And as they finish this meal, this is what Jesus said to him. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. I'm sorry, John 21, 15, if I didn't give you the verse. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, the Lord Christ here is commissioning Peter with the task of feeding his sheep and tending to his lambs. That is what the purpose of a pastor is, is to tend to the sheep, to feed the lambs, to shepherd the flock of God. The, 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 he's emphasizing that by nature, sheep are immature and vulnerable and need tending to and care. That is why he would appoint somebody to that. And then in the second, the second time when Jesus says, tend to my sheep here in verse 16, uh, the Lord was emphasizing that tending to, the, he's emphasizing that, you know, he should be tending to the sheep in a supervi supervisory, like leadership type capacity. Not only just feeding them food, but leading them and guiding them in the right way. And then in the third time, when the Lord says, uh, he says, tend to my sheep, literally means to pasture my sheep. To Here Jesus is, is making, the making clear that the job of the pastor is to shepherd the flock, to tend for the flock, to care for the flock, to provide spiritual food and nourishment for God's people. From the youngest lamb to the full-grown, mature sheep, they need continuous nourishing for their souls, and they need pastoral leadership and oversight to bring them into spiritual maturity. So this command was given to Peter, and this command extends to all men who are in ministry, all men who are in pastoral leadership. And he is telling, and it is telling that what's, I'm sorry, what's very telling about this is, is that Jesus is declaring this to the same person, Peter, that he promised to, to whom he promised that he would build his church. So he, he tells Peter, he's making a promise to build his church. And then later he says, that he tells to that same man to go feed this flock, to feed his flock. And so what that tells us is, is that pastors and elders or shepherds are the appointed means by which Christ will build his church. This is why you do not have a church without elders. We'll see that as we go along, 
right? And therefore, without elders, what you will eventually have is disorder. Furthermore, like I said, and, this, and I get that from uh, Titus, Titus cha- uh, chapter 1, verse 5. And here, this shows us that the church, again, consists of officers and members. The Word of God reads in Titus 1, verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the implications of Paul's message right here are numerous. First, we know that there's a church there. Amen? There are believers there in Crete. Secondly, we know that they're joined together. Amen? Right. Third, we know, and this is where we need to concentrate on, there needs to be elders in this church. The word to set in order, it means to set right. And so what you have here by implication is Paul is saying that without officers, you will have disorder, dysfunction, and chaos. It's like a a bunch of kids without parents. And if you find a church that for some reason is without a pastor, they will not remain a church long without one. So every church must have officers and members. There is no church without both without officers and without members. You got any questions? Yes. Yeah, I'm going, actually, Pastor, um, so the question she asked was, I'm using the word, it sounds like I'm using the word pastors and elders interchangeably. Yes, I am. Actually, uh, Pastor Briggs talked about that a little bit um, in his last uh, session. I'm going to get into it a little more here. But yes, the word overseer, pastor, Presbyter, uh, shepherd, am I missing one? They all mean the same thing. They're used interchangeably, right? So the, in, uh, did somebody else have a hand up? Okay. So, so every church must have officers and members. There is no church of members alone or officers alone, at least not according to the word of God. Right? So the, the officers are ordained by God to maintain order in the congregation, which is what we just saw in Titus 5, and to see to it that the proper worship of God is followed as prescribed in his word and the ordinances administered. So just by way of illustration, one of the ways that you see the elders do that is by leading worship. Right? You see, whenever we do the Lord's Supper, you see Pastor Rolo, he gets up and he explains to you, this is, the pro- this is who should and should not be taking the Lord's Supper. This is how the pastors regulate and the pastors uh, see to it that proper worship of God is followed according to the word of God. That's why Pastor Rolo always says about the uh, elements, this is not a snack for your children. This is not, this is not, this is not snack time. This is serious. We're doing business with the Lord in that moment. And we, and we, we fence off the table uh, from people who should not be taking it. And so that's what one of the roles of an elder is for, is to regulate how the word of God should be, how God should be worshipped. That's why we police the pulpit. We don't just give live microphones to anybody who say that they're a preacher. There has been men that have come into this church and started flashing credentials. Oh, I graduated from this seminary, and I graduated, and I preached with this man, and, and when can I be a pastor here? And we just don't allow anybody with, with, the, with the right um, Rolodex into the pulpit. We have to know, does this man meet the qualifications that the Bible has laid down before you just willy-nilly let him start shepherding the flock. That is one of the roles of the elders and pastors. That's how elders 
see to it that the proper worship of God is followed. That's why Pastor Ed, is, he picks and selects the songs that we sing and the ones that we reject. All of this that we do here is um, very calculated and thought through so that we would make sure that when we stand up on the Lord's Day and when we worship the Lord, we are doing it according to the Word of God. That is the responsibility of every elder. Every elder in every church is going to give an account to God for how he shepherded the flock. He's going to give an account for that. And if we let some jackleg preacher up in his pulpit talking crazy, we're going to have to answer to God for that. If we let some man in his pulpit lead you astray with false doctrine and it causes one of you to not see the Lord clearly, we're going to have to give an account to that. If Pastor Briggs got up in this pulpit and started talking crazy, somebody is unplugging his microphone. And, and that, is my, that is my job, that is Pastor Rolo's job, that is Vla Pastor Vladimir's job, that is Pastor Ed's job. That is what God has placed us in this position for. So if you come to us and you say, I want to teach a Bible study, and we've never seen you before, don't get offended when we say no. We're literally just doing what God has told us to do. We didn't make the rules. We just play by them. So here, when we look at, when we consider these things, we need to, I need to make a case here that, based on uh, Miss Bonnie's question, that there are only two positions in the church, two offices, I should say, in the church. Elders and deacons. Oh, I'm sorry. El yeah, elders and deacons. There's nothing else. There's no other positions in the church, right? So the only offices are elders and deacons, right? Elders are the spiritual leaders within the church. New Testament churches are to be led by elders, pastors, shepherds, bishops, overseers. They're all interchangeable words, right? And deacons are the other offices that care, is the other office that cares for the physical needs of the church, right? So if you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. We need to look at how we're drawing this conclusion to there only being two offices and not multiple offices in the church. So if you go to Acts 20, verse 28, the Word of God reads, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Take care of the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now that's the same charge he gave to Peter, right? But if you go back, just go back a few verses to Acts 20, verse 17, right? Look at that. What word is the Bible using right there? He's addressing the same group of people. What does he call them in that verse? He calls them elders. You see that? So this word is being used interchangeably. Elders, deacons, shepherds, they're all being used interchangeably. These are not separate positions in the Bible, like we got that from probably TBN or charismatic teachers where you see all of these different um, positions in the church, right? Um, another issue is, is that we're very uh, influenced very much so by those streams of Christianity, particularly on the West Coast. Thank you, Azusa Street. But because of whatever your understanding is of the, the gifts of the Spirit, and if you're a continuationist and you believe that the office of a prophet and apostle and all these things are still in existence, when you start to read your Bible and you start to see all these different names, you start trying to figure out how all of these different, these different titles are different. But if you just step back for a minute and you just go through and you read them all, they have a considerable amount of overlap when you start to look at what they're um, responsibilities are, what they should be doing, what the Lord commands those positions and titles to do, it's all the same thing. 
It's to shepherd the flock of God. So you can call Elder Rolo, Pastor Rolo. I don't know if you like Bishop Rolo. But it's all the same thing according to the scriptures. It's not a separate position. And another point about what constitutes a a church and the government of a church is something that Pastor Briggs talked about. Is, Is that eldership in a New Testament church teaches a plurality of elders, right? You... So you did not get from the Bible the concept of lead pastor, assistant pastor, and deacon board. You got that from the SBC. You did not get that from the scriptures. The concept of a church that is controlled by the deacon board, where the deacon board has the ability to hire and fire pastors, you did not get that from the, You cannot find a single Bible verse that you see where that action is being demonstrated. That don't exist. You have got that from the being in Southern Baptist churches or some non-denominational church, but that is not biblical. And we have a responsibility to set up the government of our churches according to the word of God. And you need to do that for your benefit. You need to do what the Bible says. The Bible offers protection to the sheep, to the sheep from the men that are the leaders, if you run the church the way that you're supposed to. Because when we talked about this earlier, talked about biblical church discipline in Matthew 18, you're supposed to go tell it to the church. And then the church determines if you are going to be excommunicated. Not the pastors, not the deacon board. They don't determine if you get excommunicated. The church determines if you can get excommunicated because sometimes Pastor Corey and Pastor Rolo and Pastor Briggs and Pastor Ed can be wrong. We're just men trying to serve the Lord according to the word of God. And you have the responsibility of holding our feet to the fire. And because the Lord is good and the Lord knows men and he knows the heart of men, he has checks and balances in place so that if pastors try to become tyrannical, they cannot if you have the government of the church set up properly. So, eldership in a New Testament church is, a, is set up in a plurality of elders. If you go to Acts 14, 23, Acts 14, 23, And we'll see here where you see a plurality of elders in the scriptures. Hear the word of the Lord. Actually, let me go back a little further. It says here, um, go to verse 21. So let's start at verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel in that city, and they made many disciples... They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that, though many, that through many tribulations we must come through the kingdom of God. Verse 23, and when they appointed elders, that's plural, elders, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So you see this idea again in multiple passages of scripture. It's not just Acts 20, you also, I mean, Acts 14. You also see it again in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, where you see this concept again of multiple elders. It says, now from Miletus, he, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So you see, plural elders, singular church. One church, multiple elders. Okay, that's a biblical concept. That's not just something that we made up out of nowhere. That's the Bible teaches that. Our Baptist forefathers have always believed that. And that is for your good that you have men, more than one man, 
who is an elder of a church because we all have blind spots. We all have hobby horses. We all have things that we don't see very well, and it is to the benefit of you, or to the benefit of, ha- it's your, to your benefit, I'm sorry, it is to your benefit that we have multiple elders and more than one. A church should never be ruled by one man, ever. I'm going to keep saying this, deep in the heart of every pastor is a little pope ready to jump out and be in control of everything. And that's why you need to have multiple elders. You see, in the scriptures, you see multiple plurality of elders and a plurality of deacons. So the church was established, and multiple elders were appointed there in Acts. We saw in Acts 14, and you are asking for trouble. You are asking for trouble with a church, for a, to have a church with a single elder. Now, I just want to make some qualifications here because there may be situations where there's only a church with one elder for, for whatever reasons. I could get in my car and get hit by a bus tomorrow. It could, anything could happen and Pastor Rolo or Pastor Vladimir be left as the single elder. That should only be matters of circumstance. That should not be by design. Okay? And you should be doing, as a congregation, everything you can to correct that. That's why it's so critical that we be discipling men. We should absolutely be discipling the next group of men to come up and take our place. Because me and Rolo are old. He's older than me. But we're old. We're not going to live forever. And tomorrow's not promised to me. I could have a heart attack right now sitting up on this stage. And there needs to be people who are faithful in the word, who meet the qualifications of pastors and deacons who can take our place should the day come when some crazy government official, when they come around with the COVID-25 and we keep the church open. Because if they try to close the church, I'm going to jail, right? And so some of y'all going to have to step up and fill the pulpit should that happen. Do you understand? That's why it is absolutely critical that you cannot have one man pastoring. Right? And every local church consists of both members and officers, those being deacons and elders, and those men have been appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church. They are appointed by Christ. Go to uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. The Bible says, I'm sorry, I'm going to start at verse 10. And he, this is Jesus, who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might feel all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So this passage is very important as we consider the organization and the government of the church. Now, this, verse, this passage clearly states that Christ Jesus has given some things to the church. He's given the church apostles. He's given the church prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, I don't have time to talk about why or why not modern-day prophets and apostles don't exist. They don't. Okay? There is... Not a man. Listen, the canon is closed. Okay? The canon is closed. If there's a man who's standing up and who's who's alive claiming that he is hearing directly from God and that we are supposed to obey that alongside Scripture, no. Absolutely not. Nevertheless, apostles and prophets did exist when this was written, and they provide the foundation for the Christian church, and that is a gift from the Lord. And evangelists are missionaries who pioneer outreach into areas where the gospel has not yet been proclaimed. Now, again, depending on what background you come from, evangelist is a position, right? And I would declare to you that everybody in here should be preaching the gospel. Now, 
Some of us are going to do it the way that looks like the way that our missionary that we sent to Indonesia looks like, where they're going into an unreached people group. That's what I believe this passage is more so referring to here. But nevertheless, every one of us should be witnessing and preaching the gospel. So in a sense, you could say that all believers are evangelists to a degree. And then you get to this here in verse 11 where he says, pastors and, or shepherds and teachers. Now, this is, so he just moved from this like overall universal idea, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then now he's bringing it down to this local ministry. And these two words are grouped together in a way that would give you the idea that these two roles are to be regarded as complementary and they coalesce in the same person. That's, I don't believe that that's two separate positions. There's not a, a, a pastor and a teacher. That's what the role of a pastor is, is to teach. So that should be not an end there, but a hyphen. Pastor, teacher. That's what the, the Lord, that's the, one of the gifts that the Lord gave to his local body. And the, offer, the offices of elder and deacon was given to the church by the Lord Jesus Christ for the benefit and the growth of the church. You have any questions so far? None? Okay. You guys are quiet. So, <laughs> I hope so. It could mean I'm doing terrible, too. The uh, next, we look at the role of a deacon. So what are, what are deacons for? So deacons are first instituted in Acts chapter 6, right? We see that in Acts chapter 6. I got to hurry up here, huh? We got 115. So Acts chapter 6, there is uh, less in the New Testament about deacons um, in comparison to what it teaches about elders. Ten minutes. Okay. So deacon just simply means servant or minister. That's what the word means. A deacon is a person who renders service or helps others. And the disciples in Acts 6, if you go to Acts chapter 6, you saw that the disciples lived together and that the church was helping one another. But as the church started to grow and grow larger, there became a problem in what the Bible calls a daily distribution. You see that in Acts 6.1. And so one group began to complain about what was going on with another group, and therefore the apostles, who at seems to be at some point were in charge of this distribution, or at least the leaders of this distribution in some kind of way, they didn't want this issue to become a distraction from them preaching the gospel. And so they declared in verse, Acts 6, verse 2, that it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. And so there's a word here for those who think that we should compromise the gospel for a social gospel. The primary means by which God is going to save people is through the word of God, not full bellies. And here you see clearly that they elevate the preaching of the word of God to above these things. So serving tables is good, but preaching the word of God is even better and more important. Amen? Therefore, the apostles with they, what they did was, with, together with the church, appointed seven men to carry out this duty, among whom one of these men was the first martyr, Stephen. And, th- and it's something that you need to pay attention here in this passage because the widows that were being neglected, the Bible says were the Hellenist widows, they were the Greek-speaking um, widows, and that the deacons that they appointed were Greek, they all have Greek names, right? There's some practical wisdom in that involved into the selection of these men. And I know we don't like to talk about this kind of stuff, but this is something that we need to look at. So, for example, if we had a daily distribution to the Latino uh, widows in the church and they started getting neglected, the first person I'm going to talk to is, is I'm going to say, hey, Pastor Vladimir, can, how can we help these people better? That's just a matter of wisdom to do that. We don't like to talk about that kind of stuff because, you know, I know we are all, uh, we like to play this game where we don't see different differences of color. That's the most ridiculous thing ever. The, um, the beauty of the gospel is that all of these different people 
from different backgrounds and different cultures can come together. That's why you don't need to be colorblind. That's actually kind of ridiculous. You're robbing God of the beauty of the tapestry that he put together in his church. Don't try to flatten out the differences. You need to try to embrace them. They are from God and they are beautiful. Amen, hallelujah. Don't be jealous because I got a little more melanin than you. Okay? Listen, this is, this is the beauty of the gospel. And I'm not saying that because I'm black or because Pastor Rolo's Filipino that, he can min- that I can minister to black people better than Pastor Rolo can or Pastor Rolo can minister to Filipino, better, Filipino people better than Filipino than he can. Ugh, you know what I'm trying to say. Look, my point is, is this, that he's going to understand their context and their situation a little better and he can advise me what landmines to stay away from and vice versa. That's just a matter of wisdom, right? The first time I ever went to Pastor Rolo's house, I told my wife, I said, we pulled up and I said, we singing karaoke tonight. She was like, don't say that. You're being racist. I'm like, no, it's just a thing. I'm telling you. And when we walked in, what were we doing? Right? So get your vocal cords ready. So I know when I go see Vern and Cecile, we're singing karaoke. That's just something I got to get ready for. Thank you for informing me of that, Pastor Rolo. Right? But that's just the point that I'm trying to Those are the kind of things that you need to be able to really be honest about and talk about these things. And that's what the, that's what the apostles did here in this passage. They appointed Greek-speaking men to take care of the Greek, the Greek widows that were being neglected. So moving on. The seven men, they were appointed to, set, to serve tables, while on the other hand, the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So what we see right away early in the history of the church is a distinction, being a striation that's being made between church leadership. So one is to labor in the ministry of the word, while the other is to serve the needs of the flock, of the people of God. One group is to focus on the spiritual needs of the flock, and the other one is to focus on the physical and the temporal needs of the flock. And this does not exclude deacons from evangelizing or having an opportunity to teach, because we saw it later in Acts that Stephen was stoned for preaching the gospel. But what it does indicate is that their primary function is to serve the needs of the people, primarily. And as further, if you look at the qualification of deacons, what's missing there is the ability to teach. You don't have to be able to preach and teach to be a deacon. You do have to be able to teach to be an elder, and that is because that is the main focus of a pastor is to preach, teach, and to guide the people spiritually. So at this point, it must be said that these officers, that the deacons and pastors, that the church has, that the Christ has given to the church, they're, when I say they are appointed by Christ, what I mean is, is that the qualifications for these positions that need to be met are spiritually endowed. Right? They come from God. Seminary does not make a man a pastor. Just because some dude is walking around with a seminary degree, that doesn't mean he's an elder. That just means he can read books and follow a syllabus. Right? Being able or willing to sweep a floor or move somebody's couch, that don't make you a deacon. That does not make you a deacon. Jesus makes elders and deacons by the power of the word and his Holy Spirit. And the necessary qualifications for the office are imparted to men spiritually by the power of God. And that's what we have to be looking for for the next round of deacons and the next round of elders. Not a man who can preach necessarily. Not a man who's willing to help Miss Johnson jumpstart her car. But do these men are they endowed with the Spirit? Do they love God? Do they, are they faithful to the Word of God? And do they desire to see God's people grow in maturity and grow in their love and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ for their sake, not for His? Is He willing to take an L for this body? If He ain't willing to do that, that's not a pastor. That's just a dude that know a lot of stuff. 
We got the internet for that. The last thing, that, the last thing we need in this valley is another bad church with a, with a, with a, with a jack-leg preacher at, in, in the pulpit. We don't need another one. Amen? So, the church, I'm completely out of time. I got a lot of stuff left, sorry. But the local church consists of members and officers. You don't have a church. There is no church. There is no New Testament church without members and officers. In order for a man to be a shepherd, there must be a flock for him to shepherd. A flock without a shepherd is in grave danger. The officers and the the officers of a church are shepherds or elders, bishop, call them whatever you want. Just don't call me bishop. I hate that. Okay? Pastors, elders, overseers, presbyters, same position, and deacons. The church of Jesus Christ only knows two offices, elders and deacons. There are no others. All other offices, aside from elders and deacons, are unbiblical, and they do not come from Jesus. And the office of elder was given to the church by the Lord Jesus Christ for its benefit and growth. The office of deacon was given to the church by the Lord Jesus Christ for its benefit and to meet its physical needs, and it is Christ and it is Jesus Christ and him alone who appoints officers to the church. And the only thing the church does is recognizes in these men whether or not Christ has actually done a work in them. Because every man in the church should be, should be what a pastor is. You understand that? I'm not saying he should be a pastor. What I'm saying is if you go read the qualifications of what a pastor is, that's the kind of man you want your daughter to marry. You understand what I'm saying? Go just look at the qualifications. That's just the Christian, with the exception of the ability to teach. You should all be those things. You should all be those things. The difference between the member and the pastor is that the pastor's already there. Amen? So, I wasn't supposed to be preaching. <laughs> it was supposed to be back and forth, but obviously that didn't happen. Do you have any questions? Nope? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for the gift that you have given us as uh, in elders and deacons, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word so that we can know who these men ought to be, what qualified them for this position, O oh God, and for the protection of your sheep, O oh Lord, and the betterment of your church. Help us, God, to obey you in these things. Help us, God, to raise up the next group of elders and deacons, God, for your church, O oh Lord. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. So the next